uh, have him with us on that Sunday. And uh, I've heard as well that uh, Cole and Aaron both did a tremendous job these last few weeks while I was gone. I got a lot of great feedback on that. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at. And our title today is Happiness Is. Our series is Words from the Word. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. You know, Jesus began his earthly ministry by setting forth the principles of his kingdom. And he told them up front, this is what my kingdom is going to look like. And he spoke with an earpiece that did not fit. That's another thing about Cole using my earpiece. He may have slightly bigger ears than I do. I don't know. It's just a joke, everybody. People get so tense. He's my brother-in-law. I can mess with him a little bit. Uh, but Jesus is, he set forth the principles of what the kingdom would be. And it says in Scripture that he spoke with such authority that the people around him were stunned. Because he wasn't speaking as a man. He was speaking as the very God of creation. The word who became flesh, as it's described in John chapter 1. And in this series, we're going to look just at this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, what we often call the Beatitudes. And I hope we'll discover together what the meaning of those would be for us in 2016. And so our reading, as I said, in Matthew chapter 5. And if you're physically able, would you stand? We'll read the first six verses as we get started today. At seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, would you... Bless this morning as we discover once again, certainly not for the first time, but as we're refreshed anew on finding out what happiness is and where it comes from. And I pray that as we cover these verses that you would bring the Spirit of God in and deliver healing and deliver comfort, deliver peace, deliver courage. Deliver everything that is needed for us to live our lives for you this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen today as Sister Kathy sings? hold it long enough. Together in spirit, faith and you. 
rejoice with the happy and weep with those who mourn for the weak find strength the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belonging so with one voice we'll sing to the Lord and with one heart Thank you, Kathy, for that song this morning. Well, we have an opportunity that uh, Joe Valencia told me about. If you like to play softball, and uh, on August 27th, it's a Saturday, at 3 o'clock, you're going to meet out in Fruitland, and we are playing the Mennonites. All right? And uh, we, need to, we need to show them that Baptists can outplay Mennonites in softball. So we've got to get this together. So you have questions about it, I want you to see Joe. Joe's one of our, uh, he's our bass player, and he's a real quiet guy, so you have to look him up. But he, he's going to be out and around. And look Joe up, and it's two weeks uh, from now. It's basically the Super Bowl for us. And, uh, and so we've got to get this together. So we've got to have enough guys and help us to do that, all right? The key word in the Beatitudes is the word Blessed. It's how Jesus started when he said, blessed are the poor in the spirit. And then he puts that same phrasing on every one of these as he speaks the truth of what his kingdom would look like. Blessing or blessed is, is the Greek word makarios. And I don't want to get too deep into that. I'll tell you what the other English word is for it. It's actually used this way in scripture. It's the word happy. And, and so if you don't understand blessed or if you don't understand makarios, hopefully you understand happy. And uh, boy, that didn't really make anybody that happy. 
I figured sometimes it's kind of when you say the word happy, people smile at you, right? Sometimes when you're preaching, apparently, when you say the word happy, people just continue to sit there. They just, they're just kind of absorbed in what they're doing. But, you know, happiness is, is this intriguing thing, uh, even in the culture in which we live, because people are searching to find happiness. And how many of you understand that most people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places? And you can see it. It's, it's kind of like this slow-moving train wreck where you watch the young people, maybe in your family or your neighborhood or workplace or your generation, who are trying to find happiness, and they're on this relationship and then this relationship and then this relationship, and they go from this thrill to this adventure, and they buy this thing, and then they buy this thing. And we have a society that is running toward happiness, but they're running down the wrong path. And the greatest joys are not found in the pleasures or the conveniences of this life. They're found in the treasures laid up for the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you remember the kids' song from Sunday school, Happiness Is. You guys remember that one? Not very many people. I'm not going to get much support if I do this, am I? Some of you are like, happiness is. I'm not sure about that one. It, it's this little ditty that they came up with in Sunday school. And it is happiness is to know the Savior. You guys remember that? Living a life that's in his favor. Making a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. And then it's thinking about real joy. And, uh, you know, real joy, the happiness that God gives, are the blessings of these words that Jesus spoke as he gave his first and most important sermon. Jesus tells us in these words how to be happy. So if you ever wanted to know how to be happy and know what happiness is, it's right here for us today. And we're going to give you the key to it. The, the cure for happiness is right in this passage. The blessings that these Beatitudes promise are centered on a relationship with Jesus. And you could say it this way, and you, uh, you may be blunt, but it'd be very true. Without Jesus, there is no happiness. It's just so plain and it's so clear, because happiness is the Lord. And uh, that's where we're going today. So if you are working with us on the notes, we're going to start into them now. And we say this as we begin, blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, those of you who have a, a notes and you're taking it, I bet you already have that one filled in, right? And if you didn't, then you don't have your Bible open. So you probably already had that one. And some of you just going there and making sure that this is real, some of you have already filled in all the blanks, right? This girl right here, I just saw she's filled in. See, Maya right there. She's already got all the blanks filled in. So that means now, and this would, Maya would never do this, but once you get all the blanks filled in, you're done, right? Your job's done. And so then you don't have to do anything. So we're going to try to keep her involved now as, as we go through this because the blanks are really easy today. So blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, God's word has a lot to say about the poor. Jesus talked about the poor. The Old Testament talked a lot about the poor. In fact, did you know that the Jews, this, is, this blows me away. There was a command to the Jews when they lived and where they lived that when they harvested their field, 
that they had to harvest everything and leave the corners of their fields for the poor. So they had to leave parts of their field where the poor could come in and pick nectarines. They had to leave their field. My kids picked nectarines last night. It's the first thing that popped in my head. Um, so they had to go, and they had to leave all of this area where people could go and pick and where the poor could glean. And uh, they had commands about how if you gave someone a loan, that you could not go and just get it back in the middle of the night. And uh, that you could not take certain elements of, of his society, uh, that he couldn't pawn certain things. One of the things that he couldn't pawn and get money for was the millstone. Right? You guys know what a millstone even is? Um, the millstone, because that's a New Testament word too. Jesus said if you hurt one of these little ones, it'd be better for you that a millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown in the depths of the sea. The millstone. You know, the millstone was what they would put their grain in. And uh, they would put it in there and then they would take the other part of the millstone and they would grind their grain and be able to make bread. And so the poor man always had to be able to keep his means to make bread. You couldn't go to the poor person and take the clothes off of his back. It just was wrong. And so God spoke about the poor. Jesus said the poor will always be with you. The afflicted will always be with you. The oppressed will always be with you. And there's a lot of wording in Scripture about the poor. And because of that, and, and I think because the Bible references the poor so often, this first beatitude is sometimes misunderstood to include only the poor. And, and you know, in our society today, there's a lot of work that is done with the poor and for the poor, not only in our nation, but globally. And a, that's a great thing and, and a wonderful that people are thinking about that. And we should be thinking of ways to help as well. But this doesn't say, blessed are the poor. If it did, everybody in here would be happy. I don't know. I've got to get a new joke book because it's, it's not working for me. The poor in spirit, though, is a different thing. The poor in spirit is something that Jesus now is going to address to us that goes deeper and it helps us to understand that it's not just to the poor. It's to those who stand before God empty. See, the Pharisees came before God full. Full of themselves and some other things. Like that cows drop. <laughs> out the back end. I'm trying this morning to keep you people involved, but some of you don't even get some of the references I'm making here. I'm starting to worry. And they asked uh, kids in New York City, you know, where do eggs come from? They come from the store. Or where does beef come from? It comes from the store. And uh, surely in Idaho, we know some things about cows, right? So, but the Pharisees came before God full. The, the rich young ruler came before Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I really want to serve you. I really, really, really want to serve you. And Jesus said, you're too full to serve me. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, 
uh, come and follow me. And what, do you, does anybody remember what it say? Say, what it say? What the Bible say, say he did? He went away, everybody remember? Sorrowful. Now, would you kind of grant me that sorrowful is the opposite of happy? So when you come before Jesus full, you are poor in spirit. When you come before Jesus totally empty, and you realize that you have nothing, that you can be nothing without God's working in your life, that's being poor in spirit. And Jesus gave these warnings to the rich, and he gave these warnings to the Pharisees, these people who were something in their own minds. And uh, this helps us to understand is it, just this phrase, poor in spirit, that no self-absorbed rich person, no self-absorbed poor person, no Pharisee, no self-inflated one can be poor in spirit. And so you could say it like this. If you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, you can't qualify for this beatitude. That's not poor in spirit. But if you and your heart before God today or any day realize how helpless and how hopeless you are without the redemption and power of Jesus Christ, then you can be one who receives this blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to look again at the verse. Because with every beatitude, there's an ending or there's a, a second half. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, probably in your Bible there, you have already realized what the key word there is. I just gave you a hint. The key word is, what the key word is, did you guys get it? Mine's got it, it's is. It's is, now, now look at it, here's, here's why it's in there. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say, for theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven. Isn't this interesting? It doesn't say someday the poor in spirit, the people who are empty before God, someday they're going to be full and things are going to be wonderful and someday they're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. No, it says there's is. Right now, current events, present tense, there is is the kingdom of heaven. They already have it. Here's why. Because they're already living an eternal reality. Not a false reality that focuses on this world and its lusts and all that it has to offer. The poor in spirit are those who are already living in the fullness, not of themselves, not of this world, but the fullness of Christ. And heaven itself will only be a full enjoyment of something that they've already been experiencing. You know, there are days where I know I've not been poor in spirit, where I've been full of myself and not Christ, full of my hopes and dreams and not the purpose that God has for me. And there are days where I've relied upon the false reality of, of my own strengths. Maybe you're in the same boat with me. You know, on those days... I have not experienced a taste of heaven. 
to happen. You know how sometimes at a, at a wedding or after a wedding, they'll say some kind of thing like, uh, you know, marriage uh, can be the best picture on earth of what heaven will be like. And they say it can also be the best picture of the other side. <laughs> right? Well, it's kind of this way. For those who are full in Jesus Christ, they can experience heaven now. They can experience the joy of what heaven will be like now. But those who are filled with any other thing than Christ will experience the worst of the worst. They'll experience being miserable all the time. You know, the times that I've experienced the kingdom have all taken place when I was forced to rest completely in Christ. Isn't it sad we have to be forced to do that? By our circumstances, by our relationships, by our problems, by our laundry list of things that are going wrong. Oh, this is so bad, I'm going to have to go to God. And uh, sometimes when we're forced into this and we finally go to him and we go to him empty and he's able to fill us and we realize we can do nothing without him, that's when we experience who he really is. That's what we, when we experience the kingdom of heaven. Now, I hope you won't, as you read through the Beatitudes, I hope you won't consider them as all or nothing propositions where you're either totally poor in spirit or you're not. Because that's not what they are. Nobody ever has been poor in spirit every day of his or her life except Jesus Christ. Right? We've all had days where we went to him full of something other than him. We all have. But we have an opportunity to come before him today and then tomorrow again for fresh anointing. We have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to start fresh every day of our lives and to live out this first beatitude with an attitude of humility, selflessness, and emptiness, where we just come before him empty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The second one, blessed are they that mourn. Now, the blessing on this second one, <clears throat> it's so unique because the blessing is what confirms whether or not you've actually done what the thing says. Does that even make sense? The blessing is what tells you if you've been blessed. I got new glasses. I'm st still trying to sort out whether or not I did what I just say make any sense. What does that have to do with glasses, right? Some of you are like, what happened? The blessing shows that you've been blessed. So if it says, blessed are they that mourn, the blessing is, for they shall be comforted. And if you've ever been comforted in Jesus Christ, then this beatitude is yours. Let's look at it, let's talk about it, because it goes a little different direction than you might think. If you have been sad and not comforted, then you don't fit the description. See, every one of us, all of us, have faced sadness before. 
some more than others. But sadness itself does not qualify us for beatitude number two. The mourning that is described here, the weeping or the sorrow that's described here, is not a sorrow for our circumstances or for our conditions. It's not talking about being sorry because I made bad choices. Being sorry because there's repercussions that are headed my way. Instead, it points towards sorrow that leads to repentance. This is a pure sorrow for falling short of the glory of God. And I'm going to try now, do my best to help you understand that the second beatitude, the one we are studying right now, is attached to the first one. All right, so let's try to pull them together. So the first one, remember poor in spirit? That's the intellectual recognition of who we are without Christ. That's what poor in spirit is. The second one, this one right here, the, those that mourn, is the emotion tied to that realization. So this is the intellectual side. I know I'm nothing without God. The mourning, the sorrow, the spiritual sorrow is the emotion tied to that. When we realize that our sins are what wounded the Savior, when we understand that we've grieved the Holy Spirit, when, like Paul, we say things like, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's when we are mourners who will be comforted by the peace that passes understanding. That's when we'll find grace again and again in the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And, and that's when we find renewed hope in the, the love of God that we sang about this morning, the blood of Christ. We're comforted from our grief of sin because we find forgiveness in Christ. We're comforted from the sickness of sin because we find healing in Christ. Newton said it this way, and you guys all know this one. I once was blind, but now I see. And so that's the whole beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. Newton, who was a slave boat captain, had to come to the realization, had come before God, and he had to mourn for his sins. That's repentance. And his repentance led him toward God. And that's when he found spiritual sight. You know, the healing that Jesus brings is the greatest possible thing that there is. It's the hope of our souls. And we're comforted from our grief of sin because we find forgiveness in Christ. I know some of you are wondering, well, when I've been sad before and Jesus comforted me, is that this beatitude? And I have to tell you, it may or may not totally be this beatitude, but it's really nice to have a God who comforts you. Right? So this beatitude's talking about those who mourn for their sin. But, you know, if you're a child of God, does God give comfort to his children who are hurting and struggling? He does. And it's one of the most beautiful things about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come and he will be your comforter. He's going to be your, the Greek word is paraclete. 
That word always <laughs> blows me away. He's got to be your paraclete, not your bird, parakeet. He's got to be your paraclete. He's going to be the one who walks with you in your sorrow. He's going to be the one who walks hand in hand with you during the storms of your life. And if you have never gone to God and say, God, I need the Holy Spirit as my comforter, you should. Because the Holy Spirit is the greatest comforter there is. When you have a time of sorrow, whether it's because of bad choices or because of circumstances or because of an illness or because of a loss of family or whatever it is, that is a time to go to your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you can imagine and say, I need your comfort. And so it's kind of tied in, isn't it? You know, anytime we talk about sorrow and we talk about mourning and we talk about being comforted, it always seems in the human soul to touch something deep. Right? My kids, when, whenever they watch a, a movie where, and it's, it's always this, this, you know, they've got this great thing set up at the end of a movie, but at the beginning, the mama fly dies. Right? Or the mother goose, or there's a movie where the mother goose gets killed or something. Fly Away Home that Autumn watches all the time. And, uh, and there's uh, all these movies where there's this tragedy that turns into something great. And because Hollywood does it, they always can turn tragedy into this great thing. But you know, the only place where tragedy really turns to triumph, it's in Jesus Christ. It's the only place. There is no other place. There is no other story of redemption where sorrow turns to joy than in Jesus. It's the only place. And if you think there is some other place, you're buying into the wrong thing. You're traveling on the wrong path, and the wrong comforter is going to send you straight towards sorrow. So Jesus gives this great word for us. Now, we get to this next one, blessed are the meek. And I would kind of want to kind of retrace where we've been so far. So, so poor in spirit says... I'm helpless without Christ. It is the humility at the recognition of my human condition. Mourning, or sorrow, says, you know, because I'm poor in spirit, I'm sorrowful to the point of repenting of my sinfulness. And now meekness. So blessed are the meek. Meekness is that attitude that allows me to treat others with a long-suffering spirit. If you look again at verse number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And one of the special things about the meek is that they experience great happiness, not just in heaven, but once again, even on this earth, for they shall inherit the earth. That while we're on the earth, it's going to be a time where we experience what God has for us. And as we go deeper into discerning who the meek are, just to give you a, f a few ideas on who they are, they are those who quietly submit to God. And they realize that they have responsibility for both their actions and their reactions. Meekness is the attitude that comes from being poor in spirit 
and from having a sorrowful demeanor for our sinfulness. It is the acting out of reliance on God. It's living like Jesus lived. Well, let me tell you something it's not. You've probably heard this before. Meekness is not weakness. All right, it's not weakness. It is strength through the Spirit of God. And the meek will inherit the earth. Now, if you take this in the context of the era, the Old Testament time in which Jesus was born, you might say it this way, and, and hopefully this is going to open new ideas for you on this meek inherit the earth thing. I'll say it this way. The meek will live in the promised land instead of in the wilderness. That's just what Jesus is trying to tell them. The meek will live in the promised land instead of the wilderness. The meek will experience the kingdom blessings on earth in anticipation of heaven. Now, I want you to see, let's go outside of the, the boundaries of Scripture for just a second. I want you to just put your common sense hat on, all right? Now, how many of you, uh, let's just take a little vote on this. How many of you, if you're book, book smart versus street smart, how many of you are the book smart ones? Book smart ones, all right? How many of the street smart ones? How many are neither? Okay. Uh, we've, we've got at our house, we've got some kids who are book smart, some who are street smart, and uh, some of the ones who are not street smart, we sometimes just shake our head. We're just like, whoa, when common sense was being handed down, okay? But uh, put on your common sense hat for just a second, and I want you to think about this at your workplace, in your experiences, in your family, with your Uncle Larry and Aunt Sue or whoever it is. Are the most successful people you know the hotheads, the ones who hold grudges, the impatient, the quarrelsome? Not usually, right? It's common sense. You know, often the most successful people are the considerate ones, the nice ones, the calm ones. And so this meekness thing even translates outside of where Jesus spoke it. It translates into our modern culture. And meekness, <clears throat> once again, is not weakness. Theodore Roosevelt said it this way, talk softly and carry a big stick. Now, in our modern times in United States leadership, we talk softly and we carry nothing. But, but he had it the right way. And, and meekness is where we have strength through grace. We have strength through Christ. And so I hope you get that point and uh, maybe understand about the promised land versus the wilderness. Let's hit this last one, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so let's, let's add it all together. Now, Jesus, when he spoke this, these aren't separate. Where, you know, we're going to throw this one over here, and then go get this one, and then go chase this one, and go chase this one. No, it's a, it's a system, all right? And by the way, anything that the Spirit of God is, does is always a whole picture. It's not just parts. When, when Jesus said the fruit of the Spirit is coming through the Comforter, and then Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, that's all one fruit, Right? So this hunger and thirst thing is all tied to what we've already said. So think of it this way. Because I'm poor in spirit, 
and I realize that I'm nothing without God, because I mourn for my sinful condition and repent of my way, because I desire to be like Jesus in meekness, I have beatitude number four. I do beatitude number four. Now, now look at the, go back through them again, okay? Number one, think of it, the poor in spirit. What is the action involved with that? Right? If you said, I want you to go poor in spirit, someone, can you do that? No, it's not an action, it's an attitude. Think of the next one, though. Blessed are they that mourn. Is that an action? That is an actual physical action. Blessed are the meek. Is that an action? Hey, I want you to go meek for a while. Right? Number four, this last one, though, big time. I want you to hunger and thirst. Now, not only is this an action, but this is the most basic human action. Why does your newborn baby cry? <laughs> Nick said, I don't know. I wish the baby would stop crying. The newborn baby cries because Camden is hungry and he's thirsty. Right? Why does the one-year-old cry? Two-year-old cry? Why does the three-year-old cry? Because you didn't offer the right food and she wanted candy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Must have a three-year-old in our house. I, I get confused sometimes. The most basic human action is hunger and thirst. That's why Jesus uses this. Because he's going from attitude to action, from attitude to action. And he says, okay, if you want to have the attitude of poor in spirit, you have to mourn for your sin. If you want to have the attitude of meekness, you have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. See where this all comes together? So there's an action involved. Hunger and thirst after righteousness means that I want to be like him through the Spirit's presence and power so I can be like Christ. This is a special hunger and a special thirst. See, many people yearn for the blessings that the God of heaven provides. They really like to be blessed. But this isn't talking to those people. This is talking to the people who yearn not for the blessings of God, but for the God of the blessings. These are the people who are not in pursuit of blessings. They're in the actual pursuit of God himself. They actually want relationship with God, and they hunger and thirst for the creator to work in their lives. This isn't a one-time thirst for salvation. It's a daily thirst. As in... What Jesus would say to his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. And he's going to give that in the same sermon. So this application is, is going to keep going. Now think about this for just a minute. We'll bring it back to our territory. Have you ever walked away from a meal unsatisfied? Some of you guys need to just get that look off your face right now. Do not look at her that way. 
That is wrong. Tuna casserole is okay, like sometimes. My dad, this is a funny story. Um, when we were kids, my mom made tuna casserole, it seemed like indefinitely. Like there was always either one made or there was one in the refrigerator that we were going to eat leftovers on. Finally, they've been married for I'm 40, 46 years, coming up in a few weeks, September 11th. And finally, like six or seven years ago, it came out. Like he didn't tell her, he told one of my sisters or something that he didn't even like tuna casserole. She's been making it like once a week for 40 years. It's like, man, I would have told her a lot sooner. Because that means that you have been content to walk away from a whole lot of meals unsatisfied. Now, we walk away from meals unsatisfied for, for a variety of reasons. Maybe there wasn't enough food. That's not very normal in America, but could be. We've got buffets like on every corner. Now, maybe the food wasn't that good. Maybe you got too much food and you walked away unsatisfied. That probably is closer to where we are. Maybe the service wasn't good, or, or maybe uh, you found a hair in your food. I don't know what it was, but you were unsatisfied. Now think about this. Just, just with your own person, who you are, your soul, your own psyche, your own appetites. Do you know it is one of the most satisfying feelings physically, mentally, chemically, spiritually, it is one of the most satisfying feelings on earth to walk away from a meal contented. Isn't it? That's great. You walk away from a meal contented, and at that moment in time, if you could capture that moment, that microcosm in time, you could say, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Right? And then a couple hours later, not quite as happy. The tryptophan kicked in and you're asleep in the recliner after turkey dinner. All right? Or three or four hours later, well, I think I need to find a snack. And the next day you don't get up and say, you know what? That meal we had yesterday was so, so good. I'm not even going to eat today. Now, some of you, if you're like me, how many of you, you've been eating a meal where you ate too much and you ate more than you should have, and you said something like this, I'm not going to eat for two weeks after this meal. How many of you, come on, be honest. And how many of you kept your word? <laughs> now, we get this with our physical hunger. We get this with our physical thirst. When you walk away from a period of thirstiness with your throat cooled, you're fulfilled. But you need to drink again that day or the next day, and you need to eat again the next day. And you have to keep drinking to remain fulfilled. And salvation's not like that, but a hunger and thirst after righteousness is like that. It is a daily pursuit of satisfaction in Jesus Christ where I come after him again and again and again. It's a constant yearning for Christ to accept that his righteousness is the only peace we can have with God. And so the Beatitudes, as we go through these, these next few weeks, they are really this complete basic building block set of the Christian faith. And I don't know what 
brought you to this church today or to this place. But I do know that God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. He really does. But make sure you understand that he wants you to be happy on his terms, not on yours. Because God knows what really will make you happy. In fact, that's why Jesus gave this word. So that we will know what makes us happy. God wants you to be fulfilled. Jesus, the word of God, gave us these words, not as commandments, but as blessings. And so this really is grace living. Poor in spirit. Mourning for the sinful condition of the human race. Meek in our treatment of others. Hungering and thirsting after Jesus. The only one who's ever truly righteous. How long has it been since you really considered where your happiness is resting? When you sat down and said, what am I trying to do to be happy? Who am I trying to meet? What am I trying to buy? How am I trying to take that emptiness in my life and fill it? And if it's not Jesus, then there is a clue to why you're not experiencing much joy. Because if you're counting on your spouse or your kids or your favorite team or your favorite presidential candidate or your favorite ice cream or whatever to fulfill your joy, you won't ever have true happiness. Because happiness is the Lord. Let's bow today as we bow.